that talks about the birds singing sweetly in the trees. And when it came to that part, we would go. <laughs> and you could never tell where it was coming from. <laughs> but uh, I like the song for other reasons now. <laughs> but before we get into our Bible study, um, there's a, a new session in our Grounded series that's coming up. Pastor Aaron teaches that class, and so I ask him to just come up and share for a couple minutes on what the Grounded class is about and what you could expect, and to invite you to come since it starts this Friday. So Aaron, you want to come up and share? Morning. Just wanted to take a few minutes and just let you know what we're doing here on Friday nights. We um, have a series of uh, courses that we've done, and we're now in Character 102. And just to let you know a little bit about what that's about is important, I think. It's, it's interesting when we look at history. A lot of times, I remember when I was a young child, I got to go to Pearl Harbor. And it was amazing just to see what was there. But really what got me was they had individuals there that were there when it happened. Soldiers, people that were there. When they spoke, it just, it just got you. And... And the Bible is like that. There's a lot of people in the Bible. They're real people. And they have real stories that can really relate to us. In Character 102, what it is, is we use the Bible. So often we don't, we go topical or whatever. We, we use the Bible. I teach a single text about a person. And we see what we can learn from their lives. It's, it's beautiful to see what God can do through people. There's a reason some of us go through what we go through. And if we suffer, or if we have joys, it's good to learn from those people. That's history. Um, it's a great course. We have uh, different people that come and go, but it's not required that you be there every single week. We meet at 7.30 on Friday nights. We also have different components to it, just to give you sort of a general quick outline. We have the Billy Graham Worker's Handbook. It's really a neat series to go through. It gives us good definition to some Christian terms, questions that people might bring up. You know, a simple one is, what is salvation? We can generally speak it, but going through something like that, it gives you verses, it gives you reference, it gives you a good definition. Even if you go to church or different places, you'll see a lot of people, what they call speak Christianese, a language which we can barely understand because we use big terms. Well, these are the terms that we can get a grip around and use them in our lives. We have a time of fellowship. We have some of the best food. I can honestly say that. I don't know where it came from. I, I, the only thing I didn't have regulated was the food and Lo and behold, we had like catered pickup sticks and some other stuff, so I can't promise that, but there will be some stuff there. So it's a good time for fellowship. It's a good time to get plugged in. We're Friday nights, starting this Friday night at 7.30. We actually run through to April 24th. And on February 6th, we're actually taking a field trip to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. They're having the um, Answers for Darwin Symposium up there. So that's on a Friday night, too. So there's a lot of fun stuff going on with the class. There's a table out there. If you want to sign up, go ahead. If you want to show up on Friday night, you're certainly more than welcome. So if there's any questions, go ahead and get the flyer. And God bless. Thank you. All right. Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to, on Sunday mornings, go through the Book of Ephesians, the next, well, more than several. It'll take us a while because there's a lot in this book, but we'll work our way through it, try to keep a decent pace going. But um, Ephesians is an incredible book and one that we need today in some ways like we haven't before. Um, Ephesians is all about how rich we are. It's really the prosperity gospel according to Paul. 
And he spends the first three chapters talking about how, how rich we are as Christians. And then the last three chapters, he applies it to our lives and how we ought to live in response to that. And so in a day when a lot of people are feeling less rich than they would like to be or less rich than they used to be, it's great for us to just get back to the scriptures and find out what we're really worth and, and how blessed that we really are. Ephesians was written by Paul to the church at Ephesus. Ephesus was the uh, Roman Empire capital of Asia. And so where you had Rome over in Europe, Ephesus is in what is present-day Turkey. And there were a lot of churches that Paul started in that area on his missionary journeys, and the church in Ephesus is one of them. He was there for a short time on his first missionary journey. Then later, Paul came back to Ephesus and, and taught in the church there for three years. So that's the longest that Paul stayed and taught anywhere. And so they were a well-taught church. They were, that was around 60 A.D., and, and when it was close to 100 A.D., the church was still going really strong because Jesus addressed them in the book of Revelation as one of the churches that was in existence then. At that time, Jesus cited them for doing a bunch of good things, but having matured to a point where they had left their first love. And so, interesting people. This letter was written by Paul, probably originally to Ephesus, but then it was an encyclical where they sent it to the other churches as well. It's kind of a companion volume to Colossians. They have a lot of the same ideas were written about the same time. But Ephesus isn't personal. It was a general epistle almost because it was, you know how in some of the books like Philippians, he talks a lot to the individuals that are there. In 1 Corinthians, the whole book is addressing questions that they had there in Corinth. Ephesians doesn't have any of that because it was written really to all Christians. It was a general letter that was written to everyone. Some of the manuscripts say in the, in the beginning, in verse 1, the saints who are in Ephesus, and there are a few manuscripts that we have that don't say in Ephesus. They were probably some that had been copied in order to send to other people. There's a reference to a letter to the Laodiceans that was probably the same letter. Laodicea is right there in the same neighborhood. As I said, though, the idea of the book is, man, are you rich? And that ought to have an effect on how you live. So often when we talk about how to live, it's presented as a burden. It's presented like a law. You need to follow the rules. And we almost do it as if you need to be good in order for God to love you. Or you need to be good, God needs you to chip in and help him out. But real obedience is based on real relationship. And real relationship is based on gratitude for what you have. And that's how God wants us to obey him, is by realizing how much he showered on us. So often, we may be rich, but we live like we're poor. It's really sad when someone's poor and they try to live like they're rich, gets you into a real mess. But it's equally tragic, maybe even more tragic, 
I mean, really, when, when people are poor and they live like they're rich, it's the people who loaned them the money that are really in bad shape. But, you know, for somebody who spends more than they have, at least they get something out of it. But it's really sad when someone has a lot, but they live like they don't. And because, see, when God gives us things, there's a reason. He gives us, well, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, talk to those rich people and tell them not to set their heart after their riches and tell them to make sure that they share with others. But he said, get, them, get through to them the idea that God has given us everything to be enjoyed. And it's sad when God blesses us and we don't enjoy it. I know a guy who's really, really wealthy, but he lives like a really poor person. He's not saving it up for anything. He doesn't have a family, never married or had kids because he didn't want anyone taking his money from him. He lives a ridiculously simple lifestyle, and his life is coming to a close now. He still lives that way takes one vacation a year to go to a stockholders meeting that meets in a town where they, they give you a lot of free stuff, and, and he stays at the YMCA that's there and, and uh, goes and mooches meals off some of his relatives that live in Nebraska, and that's, that's his pleasure. The guy's never been to Hawaii. He's never gone. He's always said how, oh, man, I'd love to go to Israel with Pastor Chuck. I'd love to go on one of those cruises. Never does it. He's got the money to do it. He just can't bring himself to spend money. I even, I used to joke with people, and I would tell him to go talk to the guy and ask him to loan him a quarter. I mean, we're talking about a guy who's worth, you know, many, many millions of dollars. And I tell people, if you can get him to loan you a quarter, I'll give you a dollar. <laughs> and so they go, oh, this will be easy. They come up, hey, can I borrow a quarter? I'll, I'll pay you right back, like in just a, a few moments. Nope. Well, Dave Rolf said that if you loan me a quarter, he'll give me a buck. So I'll give you 50 cents. Nope. He just wouldn't. <laughs> Just couldn't do it, couldn't bring himself to do it. In a sense, he was a slave to, to his wealth, even though he wasn't using his wealth. Stacy was telling me about a guy that, that is a heir to one of the largest corporations in the country, and he lives down in Newport Beach, and he eats it, I think it's Coco's, um, every day, and sits at the bar, never tips, and then he, if somebody else leaves food on their plate, at the bar, he asks to have it boxed up so that he can have it. And he's the heir of one of the largest corporations in the United States. And you look at that and you go, that's weird. And what's the point of having something if you can't enjoy it? Well, Paul looked at our spiritual life that way. And he said, you guys are so blessed but you're walking around with your head hanging down. You're living your life in such a way that you're not enjoying that which has been given to you for your enjoyment. You're not appreciating that which you have much to, be, to appreciate, but you're not. You're living like paupers, though in reality you are heirs of a fortune. And so he spends the first three chapters of this book, really, telling them, look what you have. 
Look at how rich you are. Look at how blessed you are. And as we go through this, this is a letter to you. This is God telling you how blessed you are. If you don't feel very blessed, man, check this out. It's, it just gets better and better. We're not going to... Paul gets so excited about it, he writes in these long run-on sentences, pretty much the first 12 verses almost are one sentence, and, but he just is, is overflowing with the blessings of God. So let's check it out. We'll just look at the first six verses this morning. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. That reminds me of another thing that Ephesians does is it describes the church Christians as the body of Christ. In the same way that Paul did to the, to the church in Corinth, to the, those in Ephesus, he's letting them know about the body. And so he talks about gifts. He talks about everyone has a place in the body. We all belong. We're all necessary and needed. We have roles to play. And so Paul knew what his job was as an apostle. And he knew that he was an apostle by the will of God. As we go through this book, I hope God will show each of us who we are by the will of God, what role we have to play within the body. To the saints, now saints aren't people who are like so good that after you die, you might get voted in and become a saint or, you know, if you like poor St. Christopher when I was a kid, St. Christopher was one of the biggest saints in the church, and they had those St. Christopher medals. If you went steady with someone, you exchanged Christophers. Well, so he was really riding high in the 60s. But later they began to study St. Christopher a little more and found out he wasn't such a saint, and then actually found out that maybe he didn't even exist, so he got desainted. Um, many of us might think, if I ever was a saint, I lost it a long time ago. But not true. A saint is someone who is holy, who is set apart. And Paul's going to show you, if you're a child of God, that you are. And so right away, he addresses them as saints. So if you, if you want, you can call me Saint Dave. <laughs> to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, those who have put their faith in Christ Jesus, if that's you, this is talking about you. And then a pretty standard greeting for Paul, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace, this beautiful couplet. Grace is how God gives us what we need. It's free. It's out of his goodness. We don't earn it. It's just simply grace. And if you understand that you need grace... You need to understand that he is giving it to you. He forgives you. He gives you what, you what you don't deserve. Blessings beyond compare. And peace, that's what everyone wants. Everything that everyone does is an attempt to find peace. And he goes, it's yours. Grace and peace. And, and then he calls God our Father. Sometimes he says the Father, but here he says, our Father, emphasizing that relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now he says in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. So he starts off with this theme, and he says, 
God is to be blessed. That is, you ought to be praising him. You should so appreciate him because he has given us everything. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places isn't really the right rendering there. You'll see that the word places is in italics. In your text, it means it's not in the original. This isn't about a place. This isn't about praise God because there's a heavenly place that's set aside for you. That's just part of it. But what Paul is emphasizing is what we have right now. And so he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly, heavenly ways, heavenly thoughts, heavenly, you know, whatever it is that's heavenly, he's saying, you have heaven now. He has blessed us with all the blessings of heaven now. It's what we have, and it's in Christ. When he gave us his son, he was in that process giving us everything. Every spiritual blessing. Just as, verse 4, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved." That's a mouthful. Now, right away, when you talk about God choosing us and you talk about predestination, you get into an area whereby so often this is where the fighting starts. This has divided families. It's divided churches. It's divided denominations. As people try to figure out, what is this predestination thing about? There are some people who go, oh, I could never believe in Christianity because of this crazy idea of predestination. I don't want to be predestined. Now, this is something, remember, that he is saying you have. And I am certainly not going to water down the concept of predestination. So what does it say he did? If you're a child of God, he chose you you were his first-round draft choice before the foundation of the world. Before you ever did anything worthy of choice, he chose you. Before anything ever started, before anything was ever created, he saw you, he knew you, he chose you. He said, I want that one. Now, do I understand everything about that? No, and I don't want to exaggerate it at the exclusion of other scriptures. For instance, if your concept of predestination is that God looked down the road and randomly selected certain people and said, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to heaven, you go to hell, 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 you go to heaven, you go to hell, you go to hell, you go to hell. Understand this, what this doesn't mean is that God doesn't love everyone. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You better believe that. You better believe that Peter knew what he was talking about when he said, God isn't willing that any should perish, 
but that all should come to repentance. So if somehow you read this text and you come away with it that God just doesn't want certain people and he only wants the elect to be saved, that's just not taught in Scripture. And that is contrary to the nature of God. I sure don't want to change the nature of God in some way to try to understand one Scripture. However, at the same time, he makes it clear that he chose those of us who, are, who know him, who have put our faith in him, he chose us before we could ever do anything. Now, people talk about, well, how does he choose? How does he elect you? And there are some people who go, well, he knows who will get saved, and therefore he chose them on the basis of the fact that they were going to choose him. Well, you know, that might have some merit. Uh, to a Calvinist, that would be considered Pelagianism because you're basically saying, I'm really the one that chose him, and all he did was go along and honor my choice. That doesn't seem to be what it's saying here. And so, again, I, I don't want to water down his choice to make it just his response to me. At the same time, because of that, Calvinists say it could have nothing to do with your decision. It has to be all about him. And yet, that's not too good either theologically because there was never a time when God didn't know everything. He knows everything. He knows everyone. So he can't say, okay, I'm not going to choose by considering what you're going to do. He knows what we're going to do. Peter talked about Jesus being the lamb who was sacrificed before the foundation of the world. So the whole plan of salvation God had even before creation. But does that mean that he was responsible for people rejecting him, for Adam and Eve to sin, and then for the need for a Savior? No. He knew it was going to happen. I can't separate what he knows from his choice. The thing is, he chose. He doesn't have to explain to me how that works. He doesn't have to explain to me why he chose. He could use any factor he wants. The point in Scripture always is, Quit analyzing this thing. Quit arguing over it. Don't turn it into a negative. We're talking about your blessings. We're talking about something you should be excited about. And I'm not going to apologize for believing that God chose me before the foundation of the world because the scriptures say he did. I'm just going to feel good about it. Now, if you're going, wait a minute, I don't like that. Well, why? Because he didn't choose me. It's not fair. Well, do you want him to choose you? Would you like to be his child? Just accept him. The Bible says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. So accept him. Receive him. Well, I don't want to. Then why do you resent that he didn't choose you? You don't want him to choose you. He's, you know, he's respecting what you want and don't want. Well, I don't like that he chose you. Well, Join up. <laughs> Pray the prayer. Join the club. I don't like that. I don't like that there are some people he didn't choose. You know what? There are some people that he didn't choose. I don't know how all that works. I do know that he says, whosoever will, take of the water of life freely. He offers salvation to everyone. He, he died for the sins of the world. The Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. So you're taken care of. You have no excuse. But excuse me while I enjoy the fact that I'm chosen by God. 
that I am elect by him, that he saw me. And I love this, where it says that we are accepted in the beloved. Isn't that what we all want, to be accepted? To be accepted means you find a place where you fit. You find a place where you belong. And it is a place of love. It is a place where we care for each other. That's what we're looking for in every relationship that we form. It's the ambition that drives every man, woman, and child on the face of this earth to do whatever it is they do. I want to be accepted. It's why you want to wear certain clothes and drive a certain car and do certain things and look a certain way. We've all, ever since we were little, we've been trying to be accepted. At the same time, we all know what it is to be rejected. We all know what it is to be not accepted. We all know what it is to, you know, be lined up. And for many of you, you have painful memories of this when you were a little kid. They line everyone up and they pick teams. Uh, we'll take him, we'll take her, we'll take him, we'll take her. And now it comes down to there's just two people left, you and somebody else. And you're like, oh, please, don't be the one that's not chosen. And the team captains are saying to the teacher, oh, do we have to choose one of these two, you know? <laughs> and you're just going, please, 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 please. And then they go, okay, fine, I'll take her. And you're going, oh, thank God I'm not that loser. <laughs> because... But it just feels terrible. And for many people, for their whole lives, they're trying to live that down. They're trying to, I mean, the fantasy of being able to come back and now I've got it all together and I want to go to my class reunion and show people I'm not the loser that you think I was. I've done something with my life. I'm successful. I don't even know if there would be colleges if it wasn't for the fact that people want to be accepted. And that means so much to us because it hurts so much to be rejected. You, most of you know what it's like to be in a relationship, and you're accepted in the beloved. Oh, it's just us. To have a best friend or to have someone that you love or even that you marry, and you're like, this is the place of acceptance in the beloved. And then something happens, and you're feeling rejected. You're feeling like, the place I thought I belonged, I, I don't. And it's, it's devastating. And everyone knows that one time or another. But Paul has good news for you. You're not poor. You're not rejected. The God who made you chose you. Before the foundation of the world, you are a first-round draft choice. He picked you before anyone else. Not even like Tom Brady, the great quarterback who was the 360th person chosen in the draft. You know, he got revenge by winning the Super Bowl and everything. But you're the first round. Do you understand what that means in the world of sports? Right now, there are a bunch of high school or college kids, and the football draft is coming. And everyone's trying to figure out where they're going to be drafted. And they're making decisions about their future based on, should I stay in college another year and get drafted higher, or should I just get drafted now. And all those decisions all about acceptance. But whoever it is that gets drafted number one won't ever have to play a down of football in their life and they'll have it made. Just by virtue of the fact that they're the first pick in the draft, 
They are going to have so much money they could retire the day after they sign that contract, and they'll have it made. That's rich. That's great. And sometimes you look at, you know, look at a guy like Matt Leinert who played quarterback for the USC Trojans, and now he's been on the bench for the last few years, and he's watching the old codger, you know, still in the quarterback position and winning those games for the Arizona Cardinals and giving the glory to the Lord. And you see poor little Matt Leinart on the sidelines with his hat on, taking notes. And don't feel sorry for Matt Leinart. I mean, the guy, I think he's married to a supermodel. He's making millions and millions of dollars to sit there doing nothing right now. Well, that's, and I don't think he goes home at night and cries about the fact that he didn't play. He's thinking, my knees are going to last that much longer. And if they want to pay me this much, $100 million to do this, okay. I mean, how many of you would like a job writing on a clipboard for $100 million? (laughs) Now, spiritually, that's you. That's me. He drafted us before it ever started. And he chose us, and he adopted us. And whatever our birth was, Subsequent to that, it doesn't matter. You find out it's, your adoption's been predated. Maybe your parents rejected you. Certainly, none of your parents did what a parent ought to do. There's no, there are no perfect parents. But you've been adopted by the richest one in the universe because he made the universe. He's got you covered. And you are accepted by him in the Beloved. Nobody else loves you, doesn't matter. Nobody else accepts you, oh well. You're accepted by him. And notice that it says that he predestined us, he chose us before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. So not only has he chosen you, but the reason he chose you is to make you holy and blameless. Other people may not think you're that holy. You look in the mirror, you may not feel too blameless. But the one who matters says, when I'm done with you, you're holy and blameless. Stop worrying about it. You don't have to live up to this. I didn't ask you to make yourself holy and blameless. My son died so that you would be holy and blameless. So who will bring a charge against God's elect? Paul asks in Romans. Who can? He has already said, I got you covered. He adopted you. He selected you. He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And he clothes you in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So as far as he's concerned, you're holy and you're blameless. And who is a judge who knows more than him? Now you go, oh, but wait a minute. If you tell people that, they're just going to want to run off and, and trash their lives. Really? You really think that if you understand how blessed you are, that you will want to offend the one who loves you that much? That you go, you go, boy, God, you love me so much. So would you still love me if I would just spit in your face? And he goes, yeah. In fact, you have spit in my face, and I still love you. Would you love me if I turned my back on you and denied you? And Yeah, in fact, you have, and I still love you just as much. 
is your, is your natural response going to be, oh, cool, then I think I'll spit in your face and turn my back on you? Or would you go, blessed be the name of the Lord who loves me this much? If I have the security of all of his riches behind me, if I understand that I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ, that blessing on my life frees me up to get off the rat race, to stop playing the games of acceptance, to quit striving to try to be chosen. And I can just go, it's a done deal for me. Love the game. Play it every chance I get as he gives me an opportunity. But um, I'm already covered. I'm already taken care of. He has done more for me than I could ever squander or lose. And my salvation is not how good I am. And it's not based on me hanging on to him for dear life. It's based on him hanging on to me for dear life. And he gave his dear life so that that could happen. And I'm blessed. I'm, I don't have a, a care or a worry in the world when I think about this. When I realize how rich I am in Jesus Christ as his heir, as his adopted child, oh, it frees you up to enjoy life. I remember hearing some entertainer in the past say, you know, all money does for you is it frees you up from worrying about money. And there's some truth to that with money. There are some people who have lots of money who still worry about it. But for the most part, you get to a certain point, you really don't have to worry about your money unless you just choose to. Spiritually, because we are so rich, it should free us up from worrying about who we are, about what has to be done, about what's going to happen. He wants us to live like rich people, enjoying what he has given us feasting on what he has lavished upon us. And when spiritually, being rich beyond description, we live like spiritual paupers, it's tragic. When we understand how rich we are, it's going to make a huge difference in our lives. And that's what we'll see, especially as we get into the second half of this book. But what I want you to understand today is if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, you are, have already been blessed with every spiritual blessing. You were chosen by him before the world was ever made. He saw you, he loved you, he chose you. And he is piling his riches upon you, and you're holy, blameless, you're a saint. He's adopted you, he's your father, and ultimately... When it comes down to it, he accepts you. You made it. You've got it made. And we need to know that. We need to sense that. We need to live like that. Now, if you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ, I can't tell you that. This isn't something that he lavished on everyone in the world. Oh, we all share in the divine nature. No, we don't. The world wouldn't be like it is if we did. But 
He makes the offer to you. He says, hey, if you come to me, I won't throw you out. You go, yeah, but I don't know if I'm chosen or not. Find out. Come to him. He's never turned anyone away who's come to him. And you'll find out you were chosen. There's nothing smarter you could do in life than to stop trying to be accepted by everyone else and finally come to the one who matters and let him accept you. Join the beloved. Join the heirs. Get yourself in that place of blessing. And when you do, you too will bless God. Let's just say, God, you're so good because you've been so good to me. But you can skip it if you want. There are really three categories of people here in this room. There are some who will never accept Jesus Christ. He's offered, you don't accept. In the final analysis, I guess you weren't chosen. But you didn't choose him either, so you shouldn't feel too bad about that. There are others who have been chosen and elect of God, and God has drawn you to himself, and you're rich beyond imagination, but you just live like a poor person. You just live like you're not blessed. And you're miserable still trying to be accepted by people that don't matter. And then the third category of people are those who understand how blessed they are, who accept that inheritance, and who live like, I have so much, I can give away everything and I'll still have that much more. I'm truly extravagantly wealthy beyond my wildest dreams, blessed by God. And that's where he wants you to be. That's where I hope, hope you are. Let's pray. Lord, what can we say to these things? And this is just the beginning. We're going to get deeper into it, and it just is mind-blowing what you've done for us. We're sorry for sitting on the street corner with a panhandling sign, telling this world that we need help, selling ourselves our integrity out for some dollars when we are heirs to the kingdom of God. Lord, it's embarrassing the way we live. Help us to begin to live like those who are blessed. Help us to start to enjoy our inheritance. Help us to respond and to live like people who have been adopted by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, if there are people here today who you're drawing to yourself, you've chosen them, they don't know it yet, but in their hearts they're starting to feel that tug of your spirit. Lord, reel them in, draw them to yourself today. Help them to know what they've been missing. Help them to know what you want to do for them. And for all of us that are living beneath our means, help us to start to spend our spiritual blessings. 
knowing that there's plenty more where that came from. In Jesus' name, amen.